Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to be with you this morning. My name's Tim, and uh, it's good to be back. I was in Arizona uh, last Sunday, and uh, we're moving my mother back, and uh, she is uh, going to be flying out uh, on Tuesday, and so I'm looking forward to having her back here close to us all. Um, if this is your first time here, we want you to know, sit back and relax, all right? Um, I was taught, I was reading something this week and it reminded me of something I'd said to some people one time and it went something like this. Um, you know, when you're a guest and you're going to some church and maybe you've never been there before, you're, you know, guests are worried about saying something stupid. And I've said this many times to people, to guests especially, that, uh, hey, you know, I, I worry about saying something stupid too. And in a few minutes, you're going to f- see why, because I'm going to be up here and I'm going to try to do my best. And, and, uh, we just seem to, that's, 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 I just want you to know if you're a guest here, everybody thinks like you're thinking too. We all worry about stuff like that, but make yourself at home and relax. Uh, hopefully today we're going to have a great lesson from the word of God that's going to encourage us this morning. Few things I want to say. First of all, for those of you who helped yesterday at the workday, would you just stand? I want to get an idea of how many we had here. This, this is our worker bees. Look at this, man. They were here yesterday. We were, yeah, doing a lot of stuff. Thank you very much. We're watching people f- fill in holes and, and clean up messes and, uh, scrub windows, uh, trying to get ready for Eastern. And we, so we made a dent in it. And so, uh, we're just, it was exciting and thank you for coming. Uh, and helping out with that. And we do appreciate that. And hopefully next week uh, we can set things up a little bit where God can work on Easter. Uh, also, I just want to remind you that, again, Easter is just a week away, and we hope you'll come back. We're going to be doing some stuff on the stage, uh, and hopefully uh, it'll make sense. Uh, but we're going to have a great time. And if you'll look in your bulletin, I think we're going to be having, uh, if I remember right, there's going to be some pastries here as well. Uh, to begin the morning. So if you'd like to come a little early, have a little coffee, chit-chat with people, bring a guest, we would love that. Also, uh, there is, uh, you'll notice a spring wing fling that's coming the following Sunday. You know, we're going to have Easter together. And Greater Alton just finds ways and excuses to eat together. And so we're going to be having a spring wing fling uh, in two weeks. Uh, the, again, the weekend after Easter. If you've got a special recipe of wings, bring them, man. We want to taste them, and we're going to have a contest and see who's got the best wing at the wing fling. That was a tongue twister, wasn't it? We're in a series called uh, Jesus Is. We've been looking at the names of Jesus, and names are so important. Everything's got a name, a nickname or some kind of description, a nomenclature, if you will, some kind of, of a label that describes uh, or singles out someone by a particular name. Uh, you know, we have names in our family, Gigi, Nate, Matt. All these are short now. Peepaw. I've got to talk to my grandkids. Prickle Pants. They call me Prickle Pants, too. And so, you know, the, uh, and there's, there's names we pick up when we're in, in school or in a neighborhood. Uh, so they, they, we, we live with them all the time. And Jesus was called nearly 200 different names. Some he called himself uh, by a name. In fact, next week, he, we're going to look at uh, when he says, I am the resurrection. He says that about himself. 
And so uh, there's there's critics that call him names. There's there's uh, friends that call him names. And even the Bible has a list of names for Jesus. And so we've been looking at all these names. And here we are, week 14. Can you imagine? I mean, it's... Talk about a death blow to a sermon series. You're never to go over five or six weeks. And we have been pushing this envelope and this line. And next week, we're going to wrap it up at Easter. But it, what, I hope you've learned a lot. I've learned so much about Jesus looking and studying all these different names because they, they have some significance. And today, what I want to talk about is the dearest name that Jesus was ever given by someone, the Lamb of God. And we find this from the lips of a man called John the Baptist in John chapter 1. Here's the passage on your notes if you want to follow along or up on the screen. John said these words one time. He said, as Jesus walked by, John looked at him and declared, look, there is the Lamb of God. And it's, there's a lot in this little statement because what he is, he's saying a lot about Jesus here. And by the way, he did not come to this conclusion by how he felt. There was no emotion attached to this. If you read first or uh, John chapter one, you find that he said, I was told by God that when a dove would rest on someone, it was the lamb of God. I, I, why do I point that out? The testimony of John, your testimony, my testimony about Jesus doesn't come from a euphoric feeling. It comes from our faith folks. And it's ground in the word of God. And here at Greater Alton, you know, we, we're getting back to the scriptures, right? We really want to get back to what does the Bible have to say. I had someone pay me a great compliment two weeks ago. So, you know, Tim, when you talk, you know, you, you, you make the Bible make sense. And I've had, I've had people say things like this too. Is your church dumb? Why you say that? Because your sermons are so simple, a caveman can get it. And I go, I started crying. Oh, I've hurt your feelings. No, no, no. You've paid me a great compliment. Because there's enough men and women in pulpits in the United States that are really complicating the heck out of this book. I am not into complication. I got to have it simple. So aren't you glad that we're getting back to the scriptures and finding the common, relevant, relatable passages that we can take home and go, I can do that, or I can use that, or I needed that. And I know someone here this morning needs to know about Jesus being the Lamb of God. And see, this idea of the Lamb of God, when John says this, he's really telling us the main reason Jesus came and how he really feels about us. All in that little phrase, the Lamb of God. So what makes Jesus the Lamb of God? Well, let's let's talk about that. I've got three here, I think, that help us understand why he's called that. First, the Lamb of God is the perfect sacrifice for my sin. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Look again here at what, what John the Baptist says here in John chapter 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is, this is not, this is not just a lamb that takes away a, a, a person's sin or the, the Jewish nation's sin. This lamb is the lamb of God that takes away the sins of everyone. Praise God. 
And so what's, what's he saying here? He's, he's, well, he's making a couple of observations with these two statements. One, like a sacrificial lamb, Jesus came to be slaughtered. Now, I know that word slaughtered. I remember as a kid, we were playing football against Mount Carmel, and it was 80 to nothing. How did the game go? We got slaughtered. And everybody goes, oh, that's bad. And the Bible, you know, we, we probably never used the word slaughtered that much. We think of slaughterhouses and things of that nature. And the Bible sometimes has kind of dressed up the word a little bit like slain. It'll use the word slain or killed. But the word means slaughtered, folks. And when you think of slaughter, it's a bloody, senseless, heartless act. It does sound graphic. But that, and that's exactly the word that describes the gruesome way a sacrificial lamb is sacrificed. See, animals are killed for all kinds of reasons when you stop and think about it. Am I right? There's animals that, well, they're killed because they're, they're, they got rabies. They're sick. So we gotta put them down. Uh, we've had, grow up on a farm, or many times I had to shoot different animals with a, with a rifle because they were sick. Uh, and we didn't want them to suffer. Maybe they're suffering, and that's another reason they're ki- uh, an animal is killed. And sometimes an animal is killed uh, because they're dangerous. You know, they're charging you, and you have to do something to defend yourself. And there's times around here, we see this often, especially on, on Interstates 255, for example, where an animal is killed by accident. I don't know how many road kills we see, right? All by accident. Now, if you're one of those people that on purposely does it, Shame on you. But anyway, you know, you'll see deer or a turkey or as we were coming back from Arizona, armadillo and all kinds of varmints, antelope, um, killed by accident. We see that all the time. Then there's some that are slaughtered or killed on purpose to provide. That make sense? We'll say words like, well, they've been harvested. That's what some deer hunters say. Well, I harvested the animal. What a nice way to say you killed Bambi's mother. Yeah, yeah. Tasted great, yeah. She tasted great. Well, see, Jesus wasn't wasn't slaughtered because of, uh, you know, he was sick and weak. He wasn't killed by accident. There was no three camel pile up outside of Jerusalem. This is just, just came in. Jesus Christ was killed in a car accident. No. No, this is on purpose, folks. In fact, the Bible makes that real clear. He was killed on purpose. He was led, it says here, like a lamb to the slaughter. Like he's going to the slaughterhouse. You ever heard of that term sacrificial lamb? What's that mean? Well, here's what sacrificial lamb means. It says one who is sacrificed to promote a cause or for the benefit of others. And that's exactly what Jesus was. That sacrificial lamb that was slaughtered to, to what? For the pur- purpose of a cause of how God felt about you and I and for the benefit of you and I. See, Jesus, he was slaughtered for you, for your past, for what you're going through now, and for the future, all of it. Look what it says here in First John. John says this again uh, in a later, later book he wrote. But you know that he appeared, he's talking about Jesus, so that he might take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. 
So that's the first thing John's trying to say there is he came to be slaughtered. But there's a second thing he's also talking about here. And like a sacrificial lamb, Jesus is the ideal sacrifice for me. See, to the Jews, a lamb was a symbol of sacrifice. You read the Old Testament and it's covered with moments where animals are sacrificed. And, it, and, and animal sacrifice wasn't necessarily a new thing to the Jew. Animal sacrifice goes all the way back to Adam and Eve to provide coverings for them. God took, you know, took out two animals or, or whatever, how many, but he took out some animals to cover them up. Abraham, who was offering a sacrifice with his son Isaac, offers a ram that God provides. We'll talk about that in a minute as well. And so by the time of Moses comes along, God's decided as, he, as he's wanting to get the people out of Egypt, what's he do? He has them put lamb's blood over the doorposts and the death angel passes over the blood he, that, they, that he sees on the doorpost and spares whoever's inside, Jew or Gentile. And so after they get out of Egypt, in the wilderness, God begins to tell them, okay, this is what I want you to do with uh, your sacrifices. So the Jews, they, they sacrificed lambs and bulls and goats and doves, all kinds of things for all kinds of reasons. Let me give you a list. For example, every day a lamb was sacrificed every morning and every evening at the temple. Seven are sacrificed at the beginning of every month, the first day of every month, seven lambs were sacrificed. Maybe the, a lamb could be sacrificed for things like a vow, if you're making a serious vow, a business transaction, or a vow to God, like a Nazareth vow. That's what Jesus had done, by the way. So he had to have sacrificed a lamb to take that vow. Or the dedication of the firstborn, Joseph and Mary sacrificed an animal to dedicate Jesus. Or maybe a peace offering. You're making peace with God. And so a lamb was sacrificed for that. At Pentecost or at the Feast of Trumpets, and these are all, in, you can Google it if you want, seven lambs are sacrificed during those times. When Solomon built the temple, I thought this was interesting, a thousand lambs were sacrificed or slaughtered to consecrate the temple. And Hezekiah, a later king, would cleanse the temple uh, by doing two, offering seven to 200 lambs as a thank offering or as a sacrifice to cleanse the temple. Josiah, who was a king who discovered the, the word of God in, uh, under a bunch of junk in the temple because people had gotten away completely from the word of God, calls everybody back to God and gives them 30,000 lambs to sacrifice in order to come back to God. Even Ezra, when they come back from the exile and from, from, uh, from being captured in exile, while Nehemiah is building the wall, Ezra is rebuilding the, the temple. And as they're consecrating and rebuilding the temple, and as the people come back, he uh, uses uh, 77 lambs are, are slaughtered and sacrificed to commemorate that moment. Like I told you before, the blood on the, on, the, on the post of the door, the death angel would pass over in Egypt. Jews would commemorate Passover forever, as long as they could, until the temple was destroyed. They would commemorate Passover by, by sacrificing seven lambs for seven days. 
So when you get this idea about sacrifice, the Jews, when they heard John say, the Lamb of God, they heard, that's a sacrificial lamb. That's a human being that's a sacrificial, that's sacrificial. What's that all about? You see, uh, the thing about being a sacrifice, a sacrificial lamb, you had to be perfect. And when John says, the Lamb of God, he's saying, you're the perfect human sacrifice. Look at this passage in Leviticus. Again, this is happening while they're wandering around. God's giving these laws. And look what he says about uh, sacrificial lambs and, and what, how, what, what the requirements are. If someone brings a lamb as a sin offering, they're to bring a female without defect. And the priest shall make atonement for the man and his sins shall be forgiven. It was a disgrace to offer a blemished lamb at the altar to sacrifice. Well, what are you talking about, Tim? If it had a nick in the ear, if, if, it's, if it had a discolored hoof, if the hair was rubbed the wrong way, if it was kind of sick, if there was any blemish whatsoever, it was not used. It was not worthy. It could not do the job. You follow me? By the way, the, the shepherds that are now, that, that, uh, the angels announced the birth of Christ, it's believed they were the keepers of the temple lambs. And so they were always inspecting these lambs. And get this, they're the first people to hear about Jesus' birth. Isn't that cool? These guys that are tending the lambs to be slaughtered hear the first people on earth hear about the Lamb of God. It's an interesting parallel there. It's not a coincidence. They have to be spotless. And so so John the Baptist, when he's looking at this, he says, this is a human, fleshly, perfect person. That don't make any sense when you stop when you first hear that. Because there's no one perfect, not even one. That's what the Bible says, right? How can Jesus be perfect? How can he be sinless? Remember, he's the Lamb of God. He is not from here. He is from there. He came to this earth. And remember what Mary, when they said, you're going to have a son, they're going to call him Jesus, which means he'll take away the sins of the world. That's what his name means, salvation. And she goes, how can this be? I've never slept with anybody. I'm a virgin. Asking, how can that happen? And so the... The angel explains the birds and the bees from a heavenly point of view. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you're going to give birth to this one. He's going to be great. He's going to rule in his kingdom. He's the chosen one. This sends tingles down me. See, there's nobody, nobody like Jesus Christ. Nobody. We're all messed up, but not him. Maybe that's why people don't criticize Jesus, but they always criticize Christians. You throw Jesus out there, and I don't, it's like the kryptonite of criticism. They don't know what to do with it. Because they know Jesus is a perfect person. And that's what it takes to be the Lamb of God. You have to be spotless and blameless. Peter would say this about Jesus, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from your empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. And look what it says. A lamb 
without blemish or defect. You know, think about it. You and I don't qualify to be a lamb, right? We're not even close. We got dents. We've got dings. We've, we have blemishes and defects. I can't be a lamb. You can't be a lamb. We need a lamb. And it's the lamb of God. And because he's so perfect, no matter what I've done, if you've blown it, have you blown it last night? Did you do something you know you shouldn't have done last night? How do you know, Tim, uh, to ask a question like that? Because I've done that before. I've done stuff the night before church. I'm all cleaned up now. But I've said stuff, done stuff, thought stuff. Maybe this week you blew it, didn't treat someone right. Maybe you were dishonest. Oh, you didn't write out lie. You kind of just shaded the truth a little bit. Whatever it is, whatever sin it is, pride, lust, selfishness, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, I want you to know, came to take it all away. Oh, I've done some awful, worse things than that, Tim. I've done God-awful things. Well, the Lamb of God can take God-awful things away. Praise God. See, you can't, I can't, only Jesus can. Look at this passage here up on the screen. Jesus is the only one who can save people. No one else in the world is able to save us. What's he saying? He's saying no preacher can do it. No parent can do it for me. No, no, if I get associated with a bunch of winners and good, cool people, doesn't mean I'm going to make it. And they're not able to save me. I've realized when I stand before God, you're not going to be standing with me. But the Lamb of God will. That's who you want standing beside you, amen? Yeah, no preacher, no amount of money, no amount of power, no amount of success, no amount of merit. You can follow the rules close as a Jew, and that is not going to save you. If it did, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come. There's no one, no other way for your sin, my sin to be taken away but by the Lamb of God that was slaughtered. It's the whole reason he came. Here's the second thing I notice. What makes Jesus the Lamb of God? Well, the Lamb of God is sacrificed in my place. See, not only do the Jews, when they see, uh, they hear the word lamb, a sacrificial lamb or a lamb, they go, okay, not only sacrifices in their mind, but they also conclude, oh, this is a substitution. This is a substitution for me. Look at this passage in Leviticus 17, verse 11. I have given you the blood of animals to sacrifice in place for your own. Here's chapter 1 of Leviticus. And this is talking about a bull here, but this is animal sacrifice. The person bringing it is to lay his hand upon his head, and it then becomes his substitute. The death of the animal will be accepted by God instead of the death of the man who brings it as a penalty for his sins. So no Jew could hear. Again, John the Baptist says, look, the Lamb of God. They go, that's only a sacrifice. That's my substitute. And Jesus has spoken often about being our substitute. Here, let me give you an example in Isaiah 53. 
This is God's word. I really am appealing to the word of God to help us understand. See, today, this morning, listen, church, this morning, you, it isn't you have to decide to believe me or not. You have to decide whether or not you're going to believe the word of God and what it says. That's really where we're talking about here. It's, you know, I can screw it up, but the word of God can't. Look what it says here. The fact is, it was our pains he carried. It's talking about the Messiah here, talking about Jesus. Our disfigurements, all the things wrong with us. We thought he brought it on himself, that God was punishing him for his own failures. But it was our sins that did that to him, that ripped and tore and crushed him. Our sins. Isaiah 53 goes on to say this in the message. God has piled all our sins, everything we've done wrong, on him. On him. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered. He took it all in silence. The Lamb of God took your, took your place, took my place. He quietly and humbly took all your pain, takes all your pain, takes all the mistakes, takes all the sin, and takes all the punishment due to you and I. He takes it all. It wasn't his fault. He had done nothing wrong, but he takes the blame. He takes the credit for it. Like 1 Corinthians here says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us. Paul would say in Galatians 3, Christ took away that curse. He changed places with us, man. He cha- What? He changed places with you, Tim. And put himself under the curse that was for you. And look how John says the same thing. He died in our place to take away our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all people. What's he saying? He, John says, I realized while he was watching Jesus die with his mother, you know, with Jesus' mother on the cross, I should be up there, not him. He's saying, but not only should John saying, I realize that, every one of us needs to realize that. That all of us, when we look at the cross, can simply... I, I deserve that. I deserve that. I'll, I'll never forget, years ago I heard this story, and I say it like when we get to this topic, I like talking about it. Jim McGuigan tells it much better. And um, he talks about this school that's just messed up. It's, it's, it's unruly, particularly this one class. And the kids are throwing stuff, they're breaking stuff, they're not listening, they're not paying attention. Um, you know, they're smoking, chewing, whittling, and all kind. you know, whatever sins we can think of. You know, there's the mess, okay? And they put teachers, the school board tries to get teachers in there, and every time the teachers quit, like within a day, I'm out, you know? And finally, they hire this, this young guy comes up. He's a young fellow, and he says, hey, I, I, I'd like to try. What can you do? And he goes, well, who else you got? Okay, if you want to be a fool, go ahead and knock yourself out. So he goes to class. He walks in. The kids are throwing paper wads. It's whistling crazy. Couple making out in a corner, you know. And he gets on the chalkboard, starts writing his name. And he goes, hi, I'm your new teacher. It gets kind of quiet. He goes, I'm your new teacher. And they're like, hmm, another one, fresh meat, you know. And he goes, but I'll tell you what, we're going to make some rules, and you're going to make up the rules and the punishments. Now, they'd never heard that before. Oh, what are you talking about? Well, let's see. Let's see. I'll, I'll, let's write them on the board. Let's, first, 
cheating on a test. What do you think ought to be the punishment? And, they, and, and this class, they were, so, they come up with these horrible punishments, man. Oh, uh, if you're going to cheat in class, you're, you're going to, you know, lose a finger or something. I mean, it's like crazy stuff. And, and blah, blah, blah. Then they get to the last one. Well, what are we going to do if somebody steals something? And the kids go, tin wax on the bare back with your big stick. He writes it down. And they start having class. And it actually, class is going pretty good. Everything's great. He's like, this is wonderful. Then one day, the biggest kid in the class, his name's John. You know, Johns are usually big. You know, you notice that? Great big guy. You know, maybe he should be driving by now, but he's been held back. But he's big, okay? <laughs> and he's, and he goes, hey, somebody took my lunch. And the, it's quiet. Nobody had broken any rules. This is the first one. Who took my lunch? Teacher goes, uh-oh. Okay, class, who took the lunch? And there's this little kid in the back row. And Jim McGuigan calls him Willie. He goes, there's this little guy named Willie. And he's, he's, he's uh, Scottish. And, and so Willie comes up, and he's so poor that you could spell the word poor with five O's. I mean, that's how poor he is, all right? He's got safety pins holding his... He doesn't even really have a shirt. It's more of an overcoat. And skinny and pale and, and, and messy. I took it. And the class is like, not Willie. <laughs> I took it. I was hungry. I didn't have anything to eat. And I had to have something to eat. Okay, get up here, Willie. And the class goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, 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 no. You can't do that. Tin will bury him. I mean, it'll be, it's over, man. You can't kill him. You can't do that. Just let it slide this time. No, you made the rules. And that's the punishment. So get up here, Willie. And so he undoes his safety pins and the coat kind of falls up and he's skin and bones and everybody's like, there's a moan. Oh, no, 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 no. And then John speaks up. Big, bad John, you know. He goes, hey, teach. Yeah. Does it matter who gets the whipping? Well, we didn't, dis- we didn't discuss that. I don't know. I, I, I think it, no, no, no. We didn't, dis- it doesn't matter, right? Well, no. Well, give them to me. And John takes off his coat I think of that shirt about Jesus says, bench this, and it's the cross, you know. Turns his back, and that teacher starts beating him till the blood runs. But guess who's moved the most in that classroom? It's Willie. He's hanging on to John's leg. Oh, John, I'm so sorry. Oh, John, you didn't have to do that. Oh, John, why did you do that? Oh, I'll never do that again. I'll never steal again. Oh, John. Oh, John. It's almost over, John. I'm so sorry, John. What can I do to make up for it, John? Now, you tell me if that doesn't doesn't make you think about the Lamb of God, about Jesus. Because he took your punishment, takes your pain. He took your weapon. What, what, is the, what, what kind of response does Jesus deserve from you and I. Isn't it Willie's? Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Oh, Jesus, I messed that up. What can I do? What can I do? Oh, I wish this was over with. And the Lamb of God, according to the Scriptures, takes, humbly and silently takes your punishment, what you deserve, what I deserve. Behold the Lamb of God. Really look at him this morning, church. 
like John says, look at him. That's the Lamb of God who takes away your sin. Here's the third thing that I noticed that, that the Lamb of God, that makes Jesus qualified to be the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God supplies the power I need. You know, when I, I grew up, uh, Danny and I would ride the bus together to school. We always stopped at David and Dale Woods' house. And their house, they, they raised sheep right there on Route 15 between uh, Albion and Fairfield. And while we're there, I'm... Uh, uh, we, I'd look at those sheep, and in, and in the springtime, or in some sometimes there would, the lambs would be born, and they're coming out, and they're doing, you know, their knees are knocking, and you know they're so weak, those poor things. They're like, oh, you poor little helpless lambs, you know that that, you know, they're so cute, little bitty things, weak and helpless, and take care of them. And you know, sometimes we let that image kind of spill over into Jesus. Oh, you're such a cute little weak little. Let me tell you, Jesus is no weak lamb. Remember now, there's, he's not sick. He has no blemishes. He's a strong lamb. And Revelation, John again, writing about Jesus as the lamb of God. He writes him in the gospel, talks about him being the lamb in the gospel. Talks about him being the lamb in First, first John. In Revelation, when John's writing about him, he talks about him this way. Look at this passage. It says, Then I saw the lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing. Huh? It had been clobbered, but it's standing. Between the throne and the four living beings among the 24 elders, he had seven horns, seven eyes. Was this near a nuclear power plant? I mean, what happened here? No, he's talking about seven, meaning complete. Complete authority, horn meant authority and power. He has all power. Not only is that, but his eyes, he has seven eyes. What's that mean? He sees all. Nothing gets past him. If you ever wonder, oh, God isn't noticing me, you are wrong, wrong, wrong. He has got his eye on you. And not to point something out and beat you up like a good shepherd. He's trying to get you back. Notice this. He's looking out for you. Seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. There's no place you can go without God's power and, his, and, and how he sees you, wherever you are, whatever you get in, he sees it all. And he's over it all. He understands it. And it's this lamb, horned lamb. You know, I think of a ram. I was up at Glacier Park one time with Vernon and we were driving the, one of those old buses that has a canvas top you pull back and you can see the mountains up there at Glacier Park. And as we're going by, I see a ram and those horns are as big as my arm. The, you know, that's, I don't want to get tangled up in one of those, man. Tough. Fearless. And he says, I see this lamb with the seven horns now that's been slaughtered, but it is still standing. And in Revelation 5, he says, and they sang in a mighty chorus, worthy is the lamb who has, who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. It sounds like that this lamb is triumphant, doesn't it? Sounds like this lamb is unshakable. It sounds like this lamb is 
is on top of everything. Revelation 17 says, they will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He is the Lord of lords and King of kings. And look at this. So we're included here. Look at this. And with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. What are, you, what are you facing? What battle are you facing right now? Think about that. What's a battle you're facing? I want to know what, whatever it is. I know this, that I can, you and I can have victory when you and I decide to follow the Lamb. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God. You know what happens? The people around him, they turn from John and they start following Jesus Christ. And that's what God calls us to, to follow this lamb. Let me close with this story. It's, a, it's an Old Testament story. A father and son are on a hike. They're going up this mountain. And as they're going up this mountain, uh, they're getting ready to sacrifice, make an uh, offering to God. The, the son, is, they're, they're carrying wood with them. And there's some servants with them. They get near the top and the, and the servant or the, the dad says, Hey, you need to stop here, guys. Me and the boy, we, we are going to go up to the mountain and worship God and we will come back, is what it says in Genesis 22. And so Abraham and Isaac are, are Abraham picks up the fire. And it's interesting, the son of Abraham, a son, picks up the wood. And is carrying the wood, and up they go to this hill. And I can, you know, and you can just imagine uh, what happens. You know, what what kids do? They ask questions. So where are we going, Dad? When are we going to get there? Is there any place to stop and get a drink? I mean, well, why are we carrying this wood? And, and what, what what do you mean sacrifice? What's a sacrifice? Or, or sacrificing God? Well, what, what's what's it require? Oh yeah, oh a lamb. Okay, cool. And when they get to the top. The boy looks around and goes, and this is what he says. He asks the question, Pop, where's the lamb? Where's the lamb for the offering? And Abraham, as if he's maybe saying something even, well, he is saying something prophetic. He's saying something about the future. He believes this to be true. He says, God will provide. And so they put the wood in a pile he ties up his boy Isaac. You know, God's testing Abraham's faith. He's asking him to sacrifice his son. He puts his son on the wood pile. He pulls out his knife and is about to slaughter him. And I just have this picture of Abraham, his eyes widening just as he's getting ready to go. And an angel speaks up and says, Abraham, Abraham, what? Stop what you're doing. And then there's a noise. And Abraham looks. And there is a horned lamb in the thicket. And it's this lamb, this ram or lamb that takes the place of a son. The name of this mountain is Mount Moriah. It's the same place that Solomon will build the temple. It's believed they built, Solomon built the temple on the same, they believe, place where Abraham offered, was going to offer Isaac, but yet offers a lamb.
Now, why is that so significant? Well, it's on this mountain Jerusalem is built. And it's on this mountain the Lamb of God carries some wood to a small hill just outside the wall, less than a half a mile from the temple, and dies for you and me. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold, look at the Lamb of God this morning, church. Because it's on this cross, on this place, just a, just a shout from where Abraham and Isaac were, that Jesus, without defect, in our place, gave us power over sin. I didn't ask him to do it. I didn't ask him to do it. No, he volunteered and asked God if he could do it. Awesome. Awesome. He does it for you and I. Whatever strain we're under, whatever struggle we're dealing with, he gives you and I, the provides the power. He's still providing the power to live by, to live on. And I say to you this morning as we close, look at the Lamb of God. And let, and let, when you look at the Lamb of God, let it move you to drop whatever you have that's, that you've got so dripped and turn to Him and follow Him. That's the question I guess this morning we ought to ask. Am I, you know, if you, if you're a Christian and you've gotten away from the Lord, why not turn to the Lamb again? You've been walking next to something else, maybe yourself, maybe a vice, maybe a habit, maybe whatever, maybe you know, whatever it be. But John is telling you, look at the Lamb of God, and he expects you to follow Jesus. I mean, that really is what we're talking about this morning. And if you're a guest, you say, well, I don't even know where to start. Well, that's why this little card in, that you have in your bulletin is so important. Why don't you just ask for a personal Bible study? Let's talk about this. I want to know more about what this is about, about following Christ. Or maybe I just want to rededicate my life. Or maybe I just need some prayer. God, would you just help me with this? Would you? Because here's what's going to happen when you turn this card in and you put it in those baskets. What happens is we have a we have a a set of people that pray for you and they'll pray over these cards. They'll ask God. They won't be talking to somebody else going, did you see what they put on their card? No, they're going to talk to the Lord and say, do you see what they put on their card? Lord, you got to help them. You know why they're that way? Because many times they've written something on that card and someone has shown the Lord that too. They understand the privacy and the discreetness of that kind of stuff. So we're going to give you a chance to do that. We're going to sing a song, give you a chance to do that. Then we'll sing another song and we'll, and we'll uh, end our services. And you can put those cards and your contribution in those baskets, all right? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being the lamb, the lamb. Father, I can't be a lamb. I could not have done this. And none of us could have done this. We're not worthy. We're, we're messed up. We're in sin. But you came from heaven. And you came to die in our place. Thank you for being 
the perfect sacrifice. I don't think that was easy for you to do, by the way, Jesus. I don't think that it was easy for you to walk on this earth in this cesspool and not not join in. It had to be tough. But your love was just so strong, and it is so strong. And we thank you for that love. And, Father, we ask you to that as we think about the Lamb of God, that it really be personal this morning, just before Easter, that we think about that on a hill, not so far away from where you provided, you provided Jesus, your son, for all of us. Help us, help us appreciate that, Father. Help us see your reasoning and how you feel about us in such a way that, that we'll, we'll follow you. We'll, we'll turn from our sin. We'll turn from our old ways and follow you. Father, we ask you, help us to really, really behold your lamb. We pray in Christ's name, amen.